Welcome to Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension, where we talk with people about exploring, making discoveries, and solving problems to better manage our natural resources, and we share ideas to help you learn more and get involved. This is an older episode from when we used a different title, The Naturalist, but the conversation and ideas are still fresh. If you enjoy it, we hope you'll subscribe and listen to more episodes of Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC. Welcome to the Naturalist Podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer, your host today, and we are excited to talk with Dr. Sally Kolstedt from the University of Minnesota's Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences, where she is part of a unique program that embeds historians and departments with scientists. She's going to talk to us today about her research on the role played by the nature study movement in introducing science into public schools. We'll also share some ways you can learn more. Stay tuned to the end of the episode as well for a quick announcement about our Minnesota Master Naturalist Program annual giving event. Sally started the interview by talking about her background and role with the University of Minnesota. Um, I'm a historian of science, and I'm particularly interested in the way in which science intersects with the public. So I've done a lot of research having to do with science in museums, uh, science in higher education, science in elementary education. So I'm really interested in the fact that science is embedded in American culture, and I'm interested in the ways in which that has happened. Because I think it's the only way we understand 20th century America, which is the nation kind of becoming of age and having a preeminent reputation in science and technology. So I was interested in that larger question, how did we get where we got by the 20th century? Uh, I was attracted to the University of Minnesota because, in fact, University of Minnesota is one of about 60 programs across the country that gives a PhD in the history of science, technology, and medicine. There's this really special way in which this program, which is in the College of Science and Engineering, actually hires historians who teach specialty areas. So I have colleagues in history of physics, history of biology, history of engineering, and we're all actually tenured in science departments. So we have this kind of hybrid identity. We're historians, but we're embedded in the sciences. So I'm a historian of science with interest in science, but not necessarily an advanced degree in science. My PhD is actually in history. Over the past 20 years, Sally has published articles on the nature study movement between 1890 and 1930, including a book titled Teaching Children Science, Hands-On Nature Study in North America, 1890 to 1930. She talked about what nature study was and why it was introduced into the public schools in the early 20th century. So nature study was an evolving phenomenon, I think, and certainly in Germany and to some extent in England, uh, in the private schools, they actually did have outdoor excursions for children because they thought teaching children with hands-on experiences was really very good. That was not so prevalent in the, the private schools here. And certainly in the public schools, it was reading, writing, arithmetic. And especially in the late 19th century, as more and more schools, more and more districts required every child to go to school, the 
only way to manage those is massive numbers of students coming in was to have these kind of recitation classrooms, but they weren't working very well. And so there were a number of educators, people who are kind of theoretical about education, one at University of Chicago and one at Columbia University who got very interested in the question, how can we get kids excited about school? And how can we really be sure that they're going to be learning some science? Because reading, writing, and arithmetic didn't leave room for what more and more people were realizing was essential for education and for general education. And so these people developed this curriculum, uh, particularly a man at University of Chicago named Jackman. And what Jackman did was work with, Carol, with Dewey, John Dewey, a kind of progressive educator, to think about sort of learning by doing, sort of with educational tools, other things that went on. And what they did is they d developed a curriculum, a curriculum that really was seasonal. So what should students be doing in the fall? What can they go out and look in nature? And they were, of course, in the city. This was the University of Chicago. He was using the practice school. They started bringing in teachers from around Illinois and, and teachers from California started coming to their program because they said, I want to learn how to do this. What is this about? So these seasonal programs started children in the fall with going out and looking at what's, what's happening now, how to, looking at leaves, looking at branches, looking at bark. And so they actually had often a regimen that talked about what are you seeing outside? What is the weather right now? How do we talk about our climate? How do we compare our climate to climate elsewhere? So they were really embedding various kinds of questions in the curriculum, some based on outdoor experiences, some based on what they could lose in, use in the classroom. It got very popular in major cities uh, and started to be a required program by about 1905. And that curriculum that got to be required was difficult for teachers. I mean, so there's a bit of pushback. If I'm a teacher, it's kind of like right now when we're in COVID, how much extra do I have to do? I'm already teaching reading, writing, and arithmetic. So there was some pushback, but there was also some real buy-in because the kids did get excited about doing things, handling things, learning things, explaining what they knew. So that seasonal curriculum, of course, went through the winter. They did a lot of astronomy in the winter because you couldn't get outdoors as easily. And then in the summer, of course, it was all about the things that even are now today in classrooms that hadn't been there before. Things like terrariums, things like seed, seed boxes on the windowsills. But the rural schools were different. If you think about what the early 20th century was like, rural schools were sometimes two-room schools. And from what I can tell, they tried to do something similar, but they were drawn in very quickly to agriculture. And so theirs became much more practical training. And I think they had less of the kind of, what is the basic science here? Can I learn the name for, for the development of plants? Can I learn some of these basics? So rural and urban were somewhat different. Uh, the same thing was true. They introduced nature study into all kinds of schools, including those boarding schools for Native Americans. And once again, in those Native American boarding schools, it was often like, let's put you out in the field. We'll teach you how plants grow by having you weed out the weeds and, and look for the good plants and help them, encourage them to grow. So it's not all sort of sweetness and light about nature study. On the other hand, I think it was really implicitly about getting children outside, looking, observing, and reporting back. Very quickly, the American Nature Study program spread around the world. So I've had Fulbrights in Australia and in New Zealand. And in both of those places, they also had nature study, and they were relying on the textbooks that we wrote here. It kind of went back over the Atlantic Ocean. And in England, they started having a nature study society, and teachers were picking, up, picking it up there. But they were relying very much on the kind of curriculum that some of these American leaders had developed and then were implemented differently around the country. If I'm in South Carolina, I'm doing something different. So you can't have just one textbook. You really have to have materials that are available. And sometimes the extension programs were really very helpful in making that happen. So 
it's the same period of time when we start having conservation and preservation movements in this country. And so many of the people who are involved in conservation say, nature studies, what a great way to reach the students. And so in many places, things like the Audubon Society would actually get involved and sort of be part of providing seeds to the students in those classrooms because, you know, the same thing, the schools weren't well funded. And so they would get involved in helping provide some of the resources that were needed. And so it was actually very, very sympathetic with uh, some of the other conservation movements that were going on. And so students were, were alerted to uh, bigger questions as well as sort of how can I learn science. It was fun to, to study, but it was hard to get a sort of singular definition of what is nature study because it was very flexible, very malleable, and therefore very creative. I asked Sally to talk about the legacy of introducing nature study into public schools. She talked about where we can see or experience the impacts of the nature study movement today. Well, one of the things that interested me, and I never actually could follow through very closely because it was a big project, but one of the things that I did discover is that some of these nature study teachers and trying to find where they could take their pupils began to get interested in, are there locations that are nearby that can be developed so I can take my students there along the Palisades, for example, along the Hudson, if you're in New York City, can I take my children there and can I walk through and show them different trees? Can I show them the wildflowers? You know, if I go different seasons, what will I see and what kind of animals might we uncover as we're going through that site? And so one of the things that the nature study helped I think create were these kind of nature study or nature retreats, nature centers that are around the periphery of cities. And so some of them actually trace their legacy back to this early period. There was a legacy that was sort of very much embedded in the urban settings in particular. And those kind of languished in the 50s and 60s and 70s in many cases. And then to come back to your question about whether there's something that's kind of happening now, there was a kind of resurgence in the 70s and 80s there's kind of a resurgence of interest in these places. And so they're still there, they're still being used, they're still available. The other thing that really did happen with nature study is there had been private camps in the late 19th century that were outdoors camps of various sorts. But by the time you get to the early 20th century, many camps now start having things that are around nature. So they really start thinking part of our task is not just to, to entertain the kids with outdoor activities, but also to teach them something. So you begin to see nature study in camps, and I think even to the present day, very often that's happening. You begin to see nature study in the two other organizations that are founded in the early 20th century. One is 4-H that goes on through, and in fact, the first two leaders of the 4-H uh, movement were in fact nature study educators. Uh, and you also begin to see them in things like the scouts. And so what kind of a badge can I get in scouting? I can get badges that relate to this kind of nature study activity. So I, I can't give nature study credit for all of that. What I'm really saying is that as this idea is spreading and it's coming up in various places, the two things feed each other. You know, the fact that there are nature study teachers who in the summer can go work in the camp because we've taught through the year and now it's summer. Uh, there are people who are who get interested in that kind of activity and then come into the nature study movement and teach. So it's it's not that nature study is a grand movement, but it is that nature study is a facilitator in some very significant ways, I think. Sally also talked about how the nature study movement might inform the recent resurgence of interest in nature preschools and outdoor education, especially in the context of COVID-19. Oh yeah, no, no, I, and in fact, this, this No Child Left Inside movement, which is, which has gotten very big, and that's really a 1990s movement. No, no, I think it's an accelerating thing that happened. Uh, but I kind of credit the conservation efforts that were going on in the 70s. 
kind of leading people back to saying, well, what do we have? What is the nature that's around us? How can we use that kind of nature? So, no, no, I think it, in, in very fundamental ways, we, we really are still seeing it very much right now. And indeed, sometimes you're going to say there's nothing new under the sun because actually in, in California in particular, uh, in the 19-teens, uh, a number of the school systems in Pasadena and around sort of the outskirts of, of Los Angeles and around San Francisco, they actually build outdoor classrooms. They were kind of considered open air schools. And so, you know, every class would have its own kind of, it's almost like a tent. You know, you'd have a canopy over the top, actually fairly permanent. And then the sides would be such that if it was really windy, you could put something up that was kind of a barricade. But most of the time, you were really out there in nature in a particular kind of setting. And so the children, in fact, felt permeable <laughs> in the sense that they could come and go into the classroom. When I asked Sally where we can learn more about the nature study movement, she encouraged us to explore Anna Comstock's text that was foundational to the nature study movement and is still in print today. That's a really good question, and I, I don't have a single book <laughs> or a single source that I say go on. I mean, there's so much online, so you think, what is my question? And you go ask Google, and Google gives you some kind of an answer. On the other hand, what's really fun is that one of the classic books was by Anna Comstock that was called Nature Studies. She published that in the early 20th century at Cornell University. It is still in print. And I occasionally get letters from teachers who write to me and say, I'm still using her book uh, because it has all these anecdotes and these kinds of stories in it that resonate even 100 years later. Finally, I asked Sally to share a brief message, something like a billboard statement that she wished would become really popular. She aimed at getting people outside and into nature study. I don't have an easy billboard statement. I'm a historian. I think in complexity. Uh, but I do think that getting the message out and being clear that nature is really accessible and information about nature really enriches your experience when you go outside is important for people to understand. I think it's intimidating, especially for a lot of urbanites. And I think about diversity in, in these big cities, for example. And there are just so many children who really have never had an experience to go out and to see what's out there in nature. And so from my point of view, the important thing that we need to get out as a message is that nature really is accessible. Nature is easy. And there are people who can help you translate into it. And once you're there, it's extraordinary. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of The Naturalist. Huge thanks to Dr. Sally Kolstedt for joining us. Visit www.esci.umn.edu and click People to find her webpage and learn more about her research and publications. Search for Teaching Children Science hands-on nature study in North America, 1890 to 1930, to find her book. This episode was recorded over Zoom from our homes during the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. We hope you enjoyed the opportunity for some advanced training during your daily walk, while gardening, or while sitting at your desk. Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. In the meantime, we look forward to sharing another episode soon. Stay safe, be healthy, and we hope you enjoy Nature in Place. Hey, 
I have a final special note to share this week. Did you know the Minnesota Master Naturalist Volunteer Program has just turned 15 years old last month? For 15 years, we've been connecting our mighty team of volunteers to local natural resources education, service, and community science across Minnesota. We are celebrating this milestone for the next two months through November 26th. If you'd like to help us celebrate, we invite you to make a gift to support a program that you love. Donors provide scholarships for new volunteers to invite expert speakers, expand our National Public Lands Day events, and explore new ways to get people outside. Whether you have been with us for 15 years or if you are just starting, we look forward to celebrating this milestone with you. To make a gift online, visit z.umn.edu forward slash mnatgive. That is capital M, capital N, at give. Mm-hmm.